sun's coming up and I'm coming in with another I'm sorry won't happen again I can't understand why she never ran when anybody in there Sweet, beautiful Texas and beyond. Hard man to love. A little Kevin Fowler kicking things off for us on the Lone Star Outdoors show. Powered by Dallas Safari Club. Cable Smith here. Thank you so much for tuning in today. It is a pleasure to be talking, hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies with you fine folks. Uh, thanks for making it a point to be here every week. Whether you're tuned in on the radio or via the podcast, I am certainly glad that you're here. And man, it is a great time to be alive in the great outdoors I tell you what, spring turkey is finally here for those of us that reside in the north zone. I actually went down to the south zone last weekend. I was able to take an axis buck, but actually got outsmarted by a dang turkey. I tell you what, maybe I've got it wrong. Uh, turkey hunting is one of my absolute favorite things to do, and, and I think I'm pretty good at it. I'm not going to lie. But you're never too good to learn something new. And, and I was humbled uh, by a big old Tom who... Gobbled once, and I swear I thought he was four or 500 yards away, so I started closing the distance, looking for a good spot to set out a decoy and uh, have a go at him, see if I could sweet-talk him in. And I kept calling while I was walking, but dang bird, he never responded again, and, and I totally had the distance judged incorrectly because uh, <laughs> after about 50 yards of walking, here he comes around the corner at 100 yards looking right at me. So... He was just facing the opposite direction when he gobbled that one time. And I know better. I should have sat down right then and just waited him out and or waited for him to talk again uh, because a bird can sound like he's 400 yards away if he's facing one direction or if the wind is carrying his voice in that direction or he can sound like he's uh, 50 yards away if he's facing you. Uh, it, it all depends on which way he's facing and, and what the wind is doing. And, uh, and that was a rookie mistake on my part, so... It's one of those, dang it, I knew better. Uh, and all you can do is say, next time, I won't make that mistake again. Uh, anyway, hope you all don't make that mistake this weekend and uh, have success out there in the turkey woods. Anyway, the sandies are running, the bass are biting, the crappie are starting to spawn as well. So uh, get out there and wet a line. It is that time of year, no doubt about it. Anyway, you guys know what to do by now. We've got a lot to get into, so pull up a stool a little closer to the campfire. Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat-up old Stanley Thermos because we are ready to rock and roll. And off the top, we'll be joined by our 2017 Photo of the Year Grand Prize winner, Mark Faden. Uh, also, Coons Canyon Ranch owner and my good friend Glenn Underwood will jump on with us, and uh, we'll discuss last weekend. We won't so much talk about turkeys, uh, but we'll get into some axis deer hunting because mark was able to take the biggest axis buck that i've ever seen on the hoof uh, an absolute stud and the photo of the year grand prize hunt it couldn't have gone any better to be honest with you so looking forward to having mark and glenn drop by here then uh, we will spend quite a bit of time with delia malone of the rocky mountain chapter of sierra club why would we be visiting with someone from Sierra Club. They're obviously a green organization, one that uh, probably leans more towards the anti-hunting side of things, if I have to be quite honest with you. Uh, certainly call themselves an environmentalist group. And uh, 
here's the deal. They want to reintroduce wolves into Colorado. Now, you guys know where I stand on that. It's not that I hate wolves. It's that the landscape is fractured and broken. This isn't 1750 anymore. Uh, these wolves have to be confined, and they are confined. They're limited by man-made barriers. And you can't just dump a predator that's been void from an area for 75 years back onto the landscape. And I'll explain why from a conservation standpoint that is ludicrous. But here's the deal. I think it's important to keep our friends close and our enemies closer. And I'm not saying that I hate the Sierra Club. I just think that they're misguided. And so uh, Delia will be here to explain their side of the story. So I'm certainly looking forward to visiting with her and, and un- trying to understand why she believes the things that she does. So we'll have a civil discussion with the Sierra Club coming up here in just a moment. Uh, that's what's on the docket for today. It's going to be a good one. I guarantee you that. Uh, let's, do a, uh, let's do a quick giveaway here. I've got a Costa Sunglasses shirt, cap, and uh, I think they're called, uh, oh, what are those things that you put over your face so you don't get skin cancer? Whatever that thing is. Got one of those too. All Costa stuff. And all you have to do is email the word Costa to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com. Whether you're listening on the radio or via the podcast, and you will be entered to win the Costa Prize Pack. Well, let's take a quick break. Up next, an axis hunt for the ages right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Feeling my wings, seeing everything, finding some light. Hey, North Texas sports fans. This is Brian Spagnola, general manager of Texas Motor Cars in Addison. My family's been in the car business for over 50 years, and I want to show you the difference in buying from a family-owned and operated business. TexasMotorCars.com is an awesome website that lets you do virtually all of your shopping online. We have a professional photographer that takes amazing photos, and we give you all the information that you'll need up front. You can even find out how much we will give you for your trade-in before you ever come in. I take pride in the fact you can come in, choose a car, and be out in less than an hour. We have financing rates starting at 1.79% on pre-owned vehicles and can help almost anybody. Please do yourself a favor. If you're in the market for a pre-owned vehicle of any kind, give us a shot. Let me show you how easy buying a vehicle should be. Visit TexasMotorCars.com or come visit our 20,000-square-foot indoor showroom in Addison. Again, visit TexasMotorCars.com or call us at 1-888-9-TX-MOTORS. For nearly a decade, the Lone Star Outdoor Show has delivered entertaining, educational, and conservation-driven content to an ever-growing audience of sportsmen and women. Join companies like Vortex Optics, First Light Hunting, and Horizon Firearms that use the Lone Star Outdoor Show to increase their brand awareness and bottom line. If you're interested in introducing your brand to our audience, then call Gil at 972-849-3392. That's me, Gil, the Lone Star Outdoor Show marketing guy at 972-849-3392. You can also email me at gil.lonestyleoutdoorshow at gmail.com. In a life where we work out, there's a house up on the hill. A front porch going all of the way round, and a flower pot on the windowsill. We sit and watch the sunset while the kids play in the field. Flatland Cavalry bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. Gable Smith riding shotgun with you. Thank you so much for tuning in. It is a treat to be here talking outdoors with you as we've got a little axis deer hunting to get into today. Uh, so 
We're going to do that momentarily with our 2017 Photo of the Year winner, Mark Vaden, as well as Coons Canyon Ranch owner and my good friend, Glenn Underwood. But first, uh, this segment of the show is proudly brought to you by Horizon Firearms. Y'all have seen my custom 7 mag by now. That thing is an absolute tack driver, and Horizon guarantees all of their rifles to shoot one half inch MOA. Uh, you can check them out at horizonfirearms.com. Whatever caliber you're interested in, Horizon will create that custom build of your dreams, and you can find them at horizonfirearms.com. All right. Well, without further ado, let's talk some Axis deer. Now, this is a species of deer that originates from India, but has become very popular in Texas, both free range as well as on many high fence ranches throughout Texas. They are an absolutely stunning animal and, in my opinion, are more wary than a whitetail. Unlike a whitetail, though, they rut primarily during late spring and early summer, which is pretty cool because they're a much more vocal species than a whitetail as the bucks will scream, a very high-pitched yell, if you will, uh, during their breeding season. Oh, and by the way, the venison <laughs> is tough to beat, noticeably better than a whitetail, in my opinion. Um, so with all of that being said, one of my favorite species to hunt and last weekend, I had the pleasure of going down to Coons Canyon Ranch for our 2017 Photo of the Year Grand Prize Hunt with our winner, Grand Prize winner, Mark Vaden. And so joining me now, it's my pleasure to welcome Mark, as well as Coons Canyon Ranch owner, and my good friend, Glenn Underwood. Thanks for dropping by, fellas. Good to be here. Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. So a little background here before we talk about last weekend. Uh, Glenn, you and I got connected through your ranch. Gosh, it's been seven or eight years now, and you weren't even there the first time I ended up hunting at Coons Canyon Ranch. I think you were living in London at the time. That's right. And so, anyway, I, I guess it was probably the second trip out there, and you know, we became fast friends for whatever reason. Uh, <laughs> we've we uh, when we finally did meet. And in addition to whitetail and exotics, we've had some pretty epic adventures together: um, mule deer black bear in Canada, alligator on the Texas coast, pronghorn, and uh, in Africa last summer. So needless to say, you and I have uh, the same passion for hunting, and uh, it's taken us pretty much all over the world at this point. Yeah, I, I, I forgot how extensive the list was until you just ran through it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and, you know, uh, most of them successful. We've had a couple duds, but, you know, that's part of hunting. Um, yeah. But a byproduct of what was initially a business relationship turn into a strong friendship and and Coons Canyon Ranch has sponsored our photo of the year contest uh, for one lucky listener every year since then and, and they get to come hunt trophy axis and or black buck with Glenn and I at Coons Canyon Ranch in Rock Springs and we figured it out uh, with Mark we were visiting uh, over a couple cold Lone Stars this weekend and trying to figure out how many photo of the year winners we've had and I think that number is up to six now yeah, that sounds about right, and I believe, uh, yeah, to my recollection, everybody's uh, gone home with a heck of a nice uh, axis or, or black butt. Absolutely. Yep. Mark, what, which month did you win? Did you win June? Yeah, it was the June. Okay. And so basically, for anyone that's not familiar, probably most of our listeners are at this point, but we do a monthly photo contest. Sometimes it's bi-monthly, but um, last year, Mark won the June contest with a photo uh, a very nice photo of you and your boy. Tell us a little bit about that image. Yeah, so the image is just, uh, you know, me and my son, we're out at the deer lease, and 
like we do a lot of the times we're out there, you know, just looking for animals and, and riding the roads out there. And we stopped off at a, a, uh, cliff just to kind of overlook. And, you know, my son was about one years old at the time mm-hmm. and naturally I don't want him getting out ahead of me. So, you know, just grab him by the hand and, and lead the way, you know, with a rifle on my shoulder to, uh, just in case. Yeah. And, uh, you know, really the the credit really goes to my wife for taking the photo. She's following behind us and we perched up there just overlooking, not really posing for a photo, but she stopped and snapped a couple pictures and she happened to take that picture. And, and it was a, it was a very nice picture and very special picture to uh, me specifically. Yeah. Yeah. So. Oh, and there's no doubt about it. And, and you, you have a deer lease and some pretty, uh, it's a pretty rough country, lots of elevation change in that area. So it's it's very nice. You're overlooking basically a big canyon. Yep. Um and you know, you won the fan vote for, for June, but what was cool about that was it was a father son rifle combo. So here's the picture of you and your son and you guys won the uh thanks to Mossberg for sponsoring it, but you won two Patriot rifles and I think you chose a two seventy for you. That's correct. And what did you get for your boy? It was a two forty three. Right on, right on. So naturally, you brought the 270 that you won on our show down to Coons Canyon Ranch last weekend for this uh, grand prize hunt, and uh, and it also came with some vortex glass on it, so that was cool as well. Yeah, very. We got that uh, bad boy dialed in at the range, and we're ready to rock and roll. Now, did you want to hunt axis or black buck? What was uh, first on your list there? Well, the first on my list was axis for sure. And had you been keeping up with some of the, the photos Glenn had been posting? I did. I did. I uh, started following his Facebook page, you know, a month or two ago and, and looking through them, and he had some really nice ones on there. Yeah. Uh, definitely looking forward to it. Hey, Glenn, how would you describe the axis herd right now uh, at Coons Canyon Ranch? <laughs> the best we've had them. I mean, you know, we've been working to to grow our axis herd over the years, and, uh, you know, I think it's evident in uh in his hunt and and what he harvested and in, in that you know he shot a 36 inch axis and you know i know there's uh a lot of ranches out there that grow uh that size and bigger um you know but to grow big axis in rocks out in rock springs is uh is a little bit of a uh challenge and so i'd say our axis are as healthy and as big as uh as we've ever seen them yeah uh, and just from trail camera pictures and from what i saw out there this weekend i would say you know and i and i've been fortunate enough to hunt with you at your ranch for, like we said, seven, eight years now. So uh, it's definitely the best it's ever been. And and so anyway, Mark's sitting in the blind there uh, Saturday morning. I think I'm about, I don't know, Glenn, how far away was I uh, at number seven there? Probably a half a mile? Uh, probably just that, yeah. Uh-huh. And and you hear the, the rapport of the rifle go off, and then that sound that every hunter loves is that secondary thump. That wallop where you know, oh, that sounded like a great hit, and and you know your buddy just smoked something, um, and so Mark couldn't get a a text out there for a while, so we just kind of just kind of sat there, and I was hunting too, and I think about after an hour, uh, I was like, well, let's go see what he got, and get over there, and Mark's all smiles, and and, and Mark's never hunted axis deer, so there's a learning curve there as, as far as you know what you're looking for, so. We showed him some mounts, I think, in, in your trophy room and stuff. Hey, here's a this is 30 inches or, or better. You know, this you want to shoot something that's 30 inches. You shouldn't have a problem doing that. Mark knew he'd shot something bigger than 30 inches, though, by the smile on his face. Oh, yeah. 
I, I knew I knew he was a stud when he walked out. Yeah, and he got your heart rate going. For sure, absolutely. So as soon as he stepped out, did you put it on him and let him have it, or did he hang out for a minute? How did that all play out? No, no. I I watched him come up out of the bottom, and he just kind of slowly fed his way towards me, and he he was facing me for about a good five or ten minutes. Uh-huh. And, you know, I just kind of watching him. And there was a couple other whitetail doe out there, and he just kind of walked around and kind of pushed them off. And he came around off to the off to the left, came up probably around 90 yards-ish and, and started feeding again. And, and I got my gun ready. And and about two minutes later, he, he, turned, <clears throat> he turned to his left. And when he did, that was it. Right on. Side shot, put it in the shoulder. And he just drops right there. Yep. No tracking. So what you were shooting the two seventy from Mossberg. Uh what bullet did you choose? I was using the uh Hornaday Precision Hunter. It's a one hundred and forty five grain. Nice choice, yeah. Yeah. And it actually didn't you didn't get a an exit, but that bullet went in there and ping ponged around and just absolutely destroyed him. Yeah, it it busted through the shoulder and it and it turned up and went out and it busted through the neck busted the neck all up and stopped right at the uh underside of the skin yeah well so we got him loaded up and we went back and put a put a tape on him and, and our measurement was 35 we actually did it wrong uh glenn obviously has much more experience doing it he was like nope you guys need to put it on the front of the antler boom 36 inch axis glenn the biggest one ever to come off the ranch what what was your reaction for for me well it's it, i was tickled to death um Obviously, a little bit of jealousy in there. I'm not shooting myself, <laughs> but uh, but aside from that, no, I'm thrilled. Anytime, uh, anytime someone comes out and and, uh, and shoots a, a magnificent trophy. I mean, you know, if it's 36, if it's 30 inches, the, the trophy's in the eye of the, the hunter, and uh, I'm I'm tickled. Anytime somebody is excited, and uh, for it to be the biggest one that we've shot is uh, even even better. Yeah. Well, and uh, and it was also in velvet. We didn't mention that. So he was pretty much finished growing. Um, but yeah, I mean, to get one in velvet that's that big, I mean, that's that's a hell of a trophy, uh, Mark. So you did well, my friend. And and I and I'll tell you, uh, Glenn, had, we'd all seen the same pictures. That buck was one that was like, God, we all seen that picture. I'm like, God, that is a wide, long buck. And and there was no doubt about it. When, when once we put our hands on him, we knew immediately that was the the buck from some of Glenn's trail cameras. Yeah, and it gets it does get slightly better uh, once you look at his uh, brow tines. He had one brow tine that was 15 inches, and uh, that's a that's a phenomenal uh, brow on him. And I think the other one was just at 13, 13 and a half. Um, so to have that combination of of massive main beam length and, and those brow tines, he he was just a phenomenal trophy. Oh yeah, and I'm not really one that enters animals into the record books, but he would go SCI gold medal for sure. No doubt. Well, so, uh, Mark, you did well, man, and like I said, Glenn and I are a little jealous, but at the end of the day, uh, it's always great to see another hunter uh, take an amazing animal, and we couldn't be happier for you and, and had a great time uh, hunting with you, hearing about your place, your lease, your family, your passion for hunting. Overall, it was just a hell of a weekend. Yeah, I agree. I had a I had a great time. It was, it was a fun time. You know, I, I enjoyed it hanging out with you guys and uh i'd love to do it again one day but it was a hell of a deal yeah uh, really really nice trip 
Yeah. And when he when he showed up head to toe in first light camo, I was like, oh, this is this is awesome. <laughs> Which uh, you've actually been wearing first light for for a number of years. Yeah, three or I think this will be my fourth year now. Uh huh. And you got your wife set up with a set of it uh, with the uh, sanctuary stuff too. Yeah, that bought her the sanctuary set, and uh, she has a bunch of uh, for Christmas or what? Yeah, we bought it for Christmas. We went out on a goose hunt in Arkansas, so. I just thought it was time she needed a nice set of gear, too. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, she has all the uh, base layer stuff and um, and now the sanctuary set. So we're building up her set, too, now. Oh, well, man, for Christmas, I think I got my wife uh, concert tickets to see Pink. So we'll... <laughs> <laughs> it tells you where she stands on that. So awesome that you've, yeah. you've got a lady that'll that'll hunt with you. Um, I'm sure you're looking forward to eating it as well. There's no secret. Uh, Axis deer is is about as good as it gets as far as venison goes. Absolutely. That's what's on the menu for tonight. Well, Glenn, man, uh, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. It's always a blast to uh, to have the uh, the grand prize at Coons Canyon Ranch, and and uh, we certainly appreciate it, man. It's it's my pleasure. You know, Cable, I I enjoy it probably as much as as you or the hunter, and so it's a it's a real treat for me to get out there and uh, partake in, in such a fun event. And, uh, you know, I'd like to keep doing it and, and hopefully keep growing Big Axis. Awesome. Well, and one other thing to plug here, uh, we still have two spots for Guns and Guitars for, is it four? It is, and that is going to be one phenomenal event. You know, we got Max Stalling and Mark David Manders coming out, and they are just a hoot, especially together. Oh, I mean, yeah. you'll see them uh, independent in concert, and uh, they're both amazing artists, but uh, but these guys really cut up and have a good time when they're together. And um, to have that and, and the group of hunters we're going to have out there, uh, it's just going to be something else. We'll go over to the uh, the, the Pila Pond and do a little swimming uh, one afternoon, and uh, just just have a good time. Um, I know that uh, Max is also bringing Heather along. I don't know if she'll be playing or not, but she's just a lot of fun to hang out with too. So there's going to be uh, a great crew on hand, and um, man, it'll be a, a fantastic time for anybody lucky enough to to book the hunt. Yeah, and that's coming up July. The what what is the date on that? It's the uh... well, we're going to show up on the 12th and start hunting on that Thursday, and we'll finish up on that Sunday, the 15th. Uh-huh. Um, Max and Mark will both be out there on Saturday or Friday evening. Friday and Saturday night. Saturday yeah. evening, yeah, yeah to, to be playing and, and having a having a good time. So uh, you can't get any more personal uh, uh, a concert event than what what they'll be putting on, plus the, uh, the hunting is proving uh, to be phenomenal this season. So uh, big, uh, big access uh, and, uh, and great entertainment. And we didn't even hit on the black buck. I mean, I, I told you while I was there, you've got more black buck and, and mature shooters than, than I've ever seen on the ranch. So they're they're thriving as well. So if, if that strikes anyone's fancy, uh, Glenn's got a, a great herd of black buck. And if you want more info uh, or seriously are interested in being a part of that weekend, we're only taking uh, five to seven hunters. I think we've got four or five booked. You can email me at LoneStarOutdoorsShow at gmail.com and uh, I'll get you the rest of the details. So, Mark, congrats again, man. For me personally, to see you shoot the, the Axis deer with the gun that you won on the show, uh, it all came full circle, so that was pretty awesome. Yeah, thank you again. It was a blast. I, I enjoyed it. So, And thank you too, Glenn. I mean, you had a really, really nice ranch. had a great time out there. Well, Mark, it's my pleasure, and I really enjoyed hanging out with you. All right, fellas. Y'all take it easy, and uh, Glenn, we'll see you at Guns and Guitars. All right, bud. Take care. All right, our 2017 Photo of the Year winner, Mark Baden, and our good friend, Glenn Underwood from Coons Canyon Ranch. 
That segment of the show, by the way, brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit. If you're looking for your own slice of paradise, you know, land is the one thing they're not making any more of, but Lone Star Ag Credit has you covered. Here's what you do. You go to LoneStarAgCredit.com. They've been doing it for over 100 years, and they'll help you finance your piece of Texas today. We all don't go anywhere. Up next, we keep our friends close, but our enemies closer. The Sierra Club wants to reintroduce wolves into Colorado. Wow. We'll try to understand their logic when Delia Malone, Sierra Club Rocky Mountain Chapter Wildlife Committee Chair, drops by right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Yes, we're friends, good friends, friends for life. Hey, y'all, Cable here for Three Curl Outfitters. And whether you want to bow hunt hogs or get after them with thermal imaging and night vision, under the cover of darkness, Three Curl has you covered. They've got the latest and greatest thermal imaging and night vision technology. They hunt unlimited, I mean, just thousands upon thousands of acres of ag fields. Or if you're a bow hunter and you want to sit in a stand, wait for the hog to come to you uh, they can do that as well check it out threecurl.com to book your next hog hunt hi i'm craig boddington i'd like to invite you to become a member of dallas safari club one of the world's leading hunting and conservation organizations as a member you'll receive game trails magazine a monthly newsletter and invitations to our monthly meetings and special activities join dallas safari club an international organization based in dallas supporting hunting and conservation worldwide for more information, call 800-9-GO-HUNT or visit our website at www.biggame.org. Howdy folks, I'm Lee Hoffpair for Hoffpair's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffpair's once again the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. Please keep buying your Polaris products from us. Send us your friends, your neighbors, all your hunting buddies, and I promise we'll keep giving the best deals on a brand new Polaris in all of Texas. Whether you're looking for a Polaris for work or play, whether you need a regular Ranger or maybe a Ranger Crew, an RZR, they've got an all-new Ace that you need to come test drive. We've also got four-wheelers from a youth model all the way up to the all-new Sportsman 1000. For your Polaris headquarters, Hoff Powers Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas is who you need to see all or get on the web and contact today. You can check us out at hpolaris.com. That's H's in Hoff Power, polaris.com. Or you can come see us at Highway 84 West in Gulfway, Texas. And folks, Hoff Powers has been in Central Texas for over 50 years now, and we couldn't have stuck around this long if we were steering you wrong. You'd rather travel down the road Paved the thorns with your true love Than to feel the soft kiss Of a dead rose Oh baby What we gonna do I don't wanna All right, that's the music of the Masterson's fight Bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoors show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. I'm your host, Cable Smith. Thank you guys and gals for being here today. Actually, probably mostly dudes. I was looking at our uh, Instagram analytics, and it says our audience is 83% men, 17% female. And who knows, maybe in today's age, you don't identify as either one in this crazy world that we live in. But uh, if you're tuned into this show, you're probably still working with what the good Lord gave you. But in any case, I'm glad that you're here, and we've certainly got an interesting topic to get into here in just a second regarding wolves and their overall impact on the conservation initiative in North America. 
because I think it's important to keep your friends close. But in this battle that we are fighting, you've got to keep your enemies closer. You can't be ignorant as to where they're coming from and ultimately why they believe and feel the way that they do. Do we care about their feelings? Absolutely not. Hell no, not one iota do I give a crap how some anti-hunter feels. I don't because I don't live in a Disney movie. In my world, in your world, in reality, the grizzly bear actually rips your head off and eats your internal organs. In their world, oh, look at that cute teddy bear. Let's snuggle up next to him. So, (laughs) uh, their feelings do not weigh heavy on my conscience. But those feelings are ultimately the root of some very serious pressure being felt by Colorado Parks and Wildlife. And it's being put on them by the Green Thumb group known as Sierra Club. And uh, Delia Malone, the Rocky Mountain Chapter Wildlife Committee Chair of Sierra Club, will join us here momentarily to step into the fray and try to explain to us why reintroducing wolves into Colorado would be a good thing. So we'll get into that here in just a second. But first, this segment brought to you by Pulsar, Night Vision, and Thermal Imaging Optics. If you're looking to change the game under the cover of darkness, then check out the Pulsar Trail. From a clarity standpoint, it can't be beat. It's also got an internal recording device. All you do is plug in the recorder to your computer and upload your footage. It is that easy. It's the Pulsar Trail, and you can find it at PulsarNV.com. All right, well, I want you guys to understand that while we are going to have Telia on, I am, I'm not going to beat her up because that's not a way to have this discussion. Uh, she will know how I feel. You guys already know how I feel. Now we're going to try to understand how the other side justifies their stance without sound science backing it up. So... With that being said, i got to give her a lot of credit for being willing to visit with us. It's my pleasure to welcome the Sierra Club's Rocky Mountain Chapter Wildlife Committee Chair, Delia Malone. Thank you for being here. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for asking, Cable. Yes, ma'am. Uh, so, first of all, tell us a little bit about the Rocky Mountain Chapter of the Sierra Club. Uh, and, and, you know, if people aren't familiar with the, with the club at all, uh, you maybe you know, might just want to give us a little background on it as well. Well, um, as you likely know, the Sierra Club is one of the oldest environmental advocacy organizations in North America, and the Colorado chapter, like uh, nationwide, we are focused on protecting wild lands um, as well as our environment, really to protect the spaces that we love for people and for our uses, so we're involved with everything from uh, conserving wildlands and wildlife to protecting our air quality and our quality of life um, that promotes uh, a better future for all of us. Right on. And so what do you do as the Wildlife Committee Chair? Well, wildlife, particularly in Colorado, is one of the aspects of Colorado that people come to Colorado for and that love so much. So conserving wildlife Uh, Everything from butterflies and bees, which are our critical pollinators for fruits and vegetables, Mm -hmm. everything, most everything that we eat relies on that aspect of wildlife, Uh, all the way up to large carnivores, bears, lions, 
Um, we have healthy populations of lions and bears in Colorado. What we don't have in Colorado are gray wolves. So one of our important campaigns is wolf restoration back to Colorado. Right, right. And I don't want to get into that here in just a second. But uh, first of all, I did want to ask you, though, how is the Sierra Club funded? Uh, I don't know if it's like Ducks Unlimited where there's chapters and they have fundraising banquets, if that's kind of the model, or uh, if, if it's through private donations. But I was curious as to, uh, you know, who pays the bills. Well, importantly, Sierra Club has a different model from most other environmental organizations. All of our campaigns are led and directed by volunteers. Uh-huh. So I'm, I'm a volunteer. I am not a paid person. I, um, I'm a volunteer that leads the wildlife um, aspect of the Colorado chapter. Um, the money that funds you know, travel and food and so on for our volunteers, those are all through donations. And surely we have um, fundraising events we have, you know, fundraising dinners and uh, potentially donation events, but all of our funding comes from private donations. Okay. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and get into that, that wolf topic that you brought up. I believe it's very important, and the Sierra Club is lobbying very hard to reintroduce gray wolves into Colorado. Why do you believe that that is a good thing environmentally? What we've seen and what's been documented really since the 1950s up on Isle Royale is that wolves are essential to healthy ecosystems, and that includes healthy prey populations, elk and deer. Um, What we've seen scientifically is that with the wolf restoration into Yellowstone, uh, with wolves um, in healthy populations up in Banff, and Algonquin National Parks, we've seen a resurgence of the biological diversity, everything from birds and cutthroat trout to healthier elk and deer populations comes along with wolf recovery. Okay. So in in Colorado, we haven't had wolves. The last wolf was killed in 1945, but really functionally, ecologically, We haven't had wolves, the benefit of wolves in Colorado for almost 100 years. Well, Delia, to be fair, I mean, some people don't think that's a bad thing, uh, including Colorado Parks and Wildlife. You know, Colorado boasts North America's most vibrant elk herd at around uh, 280,000 head, which Colorado Parks and Wildlife feels is optimal for the existing habitat. Mm -hmm. If that number were reduced to 56,000 animals over the course of a decade or so, Would that be a good thing? Well, the presumption is that wolves are going to reduce the elk herds. Mm -hmm. And that's not the experience that they've had in the northern Rocky Mountain states with the recovery of wolves up there. So in all three northern Rocky Mountain states, Wyoming, Idaho, and Montana, elk populations are either at or above the populations prior to wolf restoration. So we haven't seen... But in Yellowstone, they had 20,000 wolves at reintroduction, and then it plummeted to like 4,000 animals. Um, Okay, that's an important point, and it's a point that a lot of folks bring up. mm -hmm. What you've got to look at is you've got to look at the bigger picture. 
So in the particular year that wolves were reintroduced Mm -hmm. in the winter of 95, there was also the most severe winter that they've had in Yellowstone in decades. So there was a tremendous winter kill of elk in that in that time frame. There were also, you got to remember, where there's not just wolves in Yellowstone, there's grizzly, there are lions, there's coyote, there's black bear, and all of those animals, all of those predators took a substantial toll on elk. So a combination, you know, oddly enough, before that there was there's been there was had been severe drought in Yellowstone. So the elk had is a combination event that just so happened to occur right when wolves were reintroduced, and that elk population was did re, was reduced, right. but it wasn't due just to wolves. If you go out from Yellowstone National Park. So Yellowstone is just a a postage stamp on the landscape. If you go out and you expand your territory to increase the entire greater Yellowstone ecosystem, and you look at the elk population overall, so elk aren't going to stay just in Yellowstone National Park. They're going to move. They're going to migrate out of the park during winter, mm-hmm. and they're going to overwinter in the sage shrublands surrounding the park and in the entire greater Yellowstone ecosystem. So if you look at that entire ecosystem, the elk population is larger than it was prior to wolf reintroduction, so much so that in Montana, they're actually increasing the number of elk hunting seasons. They're putting on shoulder seasons because they have too many elk. So they need to reduce the number of elk. Um, and that has not happened. Uh, it certainly didn't happen before wolf restoration. Well, and, you know, there's certain there's there's certain regions where, where wolves take a toll. Um, like you could say the Lolo in Idaho is a, traditionally one of the best elk hunting units in the United States, and it's been reduced to pretty much, you know, a non-factor. Um, but that, you know, put that aside, my concern, I guess, is that, you know, 80% of Colorado Parks and Wildlife funding comes from hunting and fishing, both through license sales and Pittman-Robertson dollars. We're talking about right. a, a $2.8 billion economic fingerprint across the board. And, and I come to your beautiful state and, and uh, harvested, I harvested an elk there last year. So Good. what happens when wolves reduce the license sales there's no way that there's still going to be 280,000 head of elk in Colorado. If a wolf eats 23 elk in a year, you know, if you even had a couple hundred wolves, you're going to see that number go down. My fear is that, you know, we're going to lose dollars for these these wild open spaces that you and I both love because those dollars are what's keeping those, uh, whether it's, a, you know, a state park or um, a trout stream or whatever, that's what's keeping those afloat. What happens when those dollars go away? I guess that would be my number one concern. Sure, and that's a fair question. Um, but there's a couple of, of points, a couple of factors in your question that need to be clarified. Um, number one, elk hunters killed about 40,000 or so elk last year in Colorado. That's pretty much a standard hunter success rate in Colorado. Importantly, and I think this is really an important point, 
Um, I'm guessing that you, when you went hunting, the, the elk that you were searching for, um, that you were, you know, looking for, um, was not the one that had chronic wasting disease. And it was not the one that was uh, so old and so weak that it was falling down. I'm guessing that you likely went for the big, robust, vigorous elk. Sure. That is not the elk that the wolves are looking for. The science documents for decades, since the 1950s, we've been really looking at this intently. Wolves are looking for the weakest. They are constantly searching out the prey that is most vulnerable. That's that. That's not that big bull elk or even the big healthy cow <laughs> that's just not that the wolf is after. They're after the elk that are going to be easiest to take down. You know, a big bull elk weighs in at, what, 600, 700 pounds. A healthy wolf weighs in at maybe 90 to 100 pounds. Yeah, well, the facts are 10 wolves weigh 1,000 pounds. When so. we look at wolves after they've been necropsied, say they've been shot or trapped or just died, most wolves, have some sort of injury, broken skull, broken leg, broken jaw, from getting kicked um, by a big, strong elk that they, you know, they focused on wrongly. Sure. So in Colorado, importantly, chronic wasting disease is a tremendous um, negative impact it's having on elk and deer populations. Not the number, but the herds, fully a third of the herds of elk and half of the deer herds in Colorado have chronic wasting disease. I don't have those numbers in front of you. That that seems very, very high. I'm not saying the individual. Right. I'm saying that in the herds, somewhere in one of the, in those herds, there is an individual with chronic wasting disease. And you can, that's that's an easy number to look up on Carl. PW's website. Um, but what the biologists are saying and what they've documented is that when wolves are around, they select those individuals that are diseased. And the impact that they have on herds is to take out the diseased and the weak. And that just leaves more forage. For the healthy. Hmm. So what we see is that the herds get healthier. And that has been the role of wolves for tens of thousands of years. The elk herds, the deer herds, the pronghorn herds, they get healthier because the diseased are removed from that population. And that has always been the role of large predators. Uh, mountain lions do the same thing with deer. They take out, they select the, the, the weakest. They're not going for the strongest. They've, you know, they've got to worry about energy and getting hurt. And that has always been the role. So, yeah, if there were, say, a thousand wolves in Colorado and they're going to eat 20 or so uh, elk each, that's about 20,000 elk. But that's a different 20,000 elk than the hunter is focused on. Uh, interestingly enough, if you go back to your CPW website, um, a little over half of the elk hunting units are over capacity. They're exceeding what the range managers want in their elk herds. In other words, there's too many elk in about half of the elk hunting units in Colorado. 
So they're actually, and interestingly enough, also, they don't feel that they can increase the hunting licenses to bring down the elk herds because these these hunting units are typically the really rugged places where many of the elk hunters aren't able to go to. You know, they're not accessible by dirt roads or by trails. They're in these the really rugged habitat that the elk go back to. So at least uh, I think it sounds like a bunch of wussy hunters to me. <laughs> to be honest with you, I mean those, that's the place I want to go is yeah. off the beaten path away from everyone else. Uh, but well, I so, you know, I get what you're saying. I I will have to say I disagree with you. I, I know wolves will tar- you know they're opportunistic. They're going to eat what's in front of them, whether it's sick or a trophy bull. I don't think they discriminate. For every picture where they've killed a calf or an older animal, I could show you one of a mature, healthy bull that they killed. Well, Delia, I'm certainly enjoying the conversation. We do need to work in a quick commercial break, though, so are you cool to stick around for a few more minutes? Absolutely. Happy to. Perfect. And that segment was brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit. You know, land is the one thing they're not making any more of, so if you're looking to finance your own piece of Texas, that little slice of paradise to call your own, let Lone Star Ag Credit help you out. They've been doing it for over 100 years, and you can find them at LoneStarAgCredit.com. Well, stay tuned. When we come back, we continue the great wolf debate right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. I when the Mama said, don't send me no tears back to Wichita Do you have a hog problem at your ranch or deer lease? We have the solution. The system hog trap comes in two sizes, 17-foot and 30-foot diameter traps. After you trap the hogs, take the top section off the trap and use it for another feeder site to keep the hogs away from the feeder. The system is both a trap and a deer food plot fence. That way you don't waste your money on just a hog trap. Call 940-391-3669 or visit www.goinfencing.com. That's goinfencing.com. Cable Smith here for Deerview Windows. As a whitetail hunter, nothing is more frustrating than poor visibility in a deer blind. It can flat ruin a hunt. At Deerview Window Company, they manufacture windows solely for the use in deer stand and deer blinds. All of their windows and doors can be custom made to fit your specific openings. Or you can select from standard sizes from hinged windows to sliding windows and everything in between. Visit DeerviewWindows.com to determine which style window is best for your deer blind. Plus, you'll get a free quote. Deerview Windows, where visibility matters. Hi, this is Ted Cruz. Thanks for listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Plants put bread on the table of the working man, where the working man does his best to provide safety and shelter for kids and a wife. Giving a little of a soul every day, making overtime to keep the wolves away. Gable Smith, welcoming each and every one of you back to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Getting a little help there from Uncle Lucius, Keep the Wolves Away. Which, by the way, is exactly what we're trying to do on today's broadcast. Uh, keep those wolves away. And especially concerning Colorado and the Sierra Club, who is actively pursuing their reintroduction into Colorado, Uh, we're visiting with the Wildlife Committee Chair of the Rocky Mountain Chapter of Sierra Club, Delia Malone, but before we pick it back up with Delia, because I do believe it is important to try to understand, you know, why the other side believes what they do. It doesn't make them right, far from it, uh, but I think we'll all walk away with a better understanding 
of of how they get to the conclusion that hey wolves are a good thing <laughs> and wolves are you know wolves are a good thing they are in limited areas in limited quantities and the game has changed i mean 300 years ago you're looking at 5 to 10 million people in north america right now there's 325 million people these wide open spaces that wolves once roamed are now confined to uh, wildlife areas like state and national parks such as Yellowstone, which I have no problem with wolves being in Yellowstone. But you damn sure don't need to reintroduce them into what is the world's greatest elk resource in the state of Colorado. We've seen what happens. Uh, So we'll jump back into it here with Delia momentarily. But first, this segment is brought to you by my favorite uh, big game conservation organization. I'm talking about Dallas Safari Club. Love to have you get involved. These folks are passionate about Big Game Conservation, Hunter's Rights, and Education. For more information, check us out at biggame.org. All right, uh, well, Delia was nice enough to stick around through the break, and I'm certainly enjoying the conversation today. Uh, now, Delia, we can debate all day whether or not wolves uh, prey on just the sick, as you've claimed. Um, but one thing that is for sure is when wolves were reintroduced in 1995, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service erroneously reintroduced the wrong subspecies. And uh, they brought back a, a wolf known as the Northwestern Wolf that's found in, it's also called the Canadian Timber Wolf. Um, but it's found in British Columbia, Alberta, Saskatchewan, uh, traditionally, and even Alaska. And it's been reintroduced into the Northwestern United States. It's uh, known as Canis lupus occidentalis. And Delia, that was an extremely poor decision. Uh, biologically, because the farther north you go, and it doesn't matter if it's a prey species or prey animal, but the farther north you go, the bigger the animals get, whether that's a moose or a wolf. And so you introduced a wolf that is 15 to 20 pounds heavier than the original wolf that existed there, the southern Rocky Mountain wolf. And uh, the northern subspecies is also built for killing animals like moose and chasing migrating caribou for hundreds of miles. No, we can't really, you know, our project to reintroduce wolves, the Rocky Mountain Wolf Project, and the Rocky Mountain Wolf Project is a coalition of a couple of dozen different um, groups that are all focused on wolf reintroduction. So, importantly, we really, we have a strong science team. We have the best and most well-renowned wolf scientists in North America on our science team. And according to the scientists, the wolf that was reintroduced into the northern Rocky Mountains is genetically the exact same wolf that was historically there. And it would be the same wolf that would be reintroduced into Colorado. You know, wolves like to travel. They disperse. And that's why there is only the wealth except for the red wolf in the far southeast, there is only one species of wolf in North America. There's numerous subspecies, but because they disperse genetically, that genetic, um, that dispersal, the genetic, um, the genetics gets mixed so that there is only one species. Well, to be fair, there's only one species of tiger, but... A Bengal tiger can weigh 600 pounds, and a Malayan tiger can weigh 300 pounds. So subspecies is an important factor here. Wolves can travel 500 miles easily. 
That's how the wolves got down into Oregon and California, dispersing from the northern Rockies. So the dispersal of wolves into Colorado would naturally occur if there weren't a basically a gauntlet between Yellowstone and Colorado. So we have this red desert, which, if it were in its natural condition, would um, would enable wolves to move into Colorado. But we've got this gauntlet of oil and gas development, and we've got um, this new regulation in Wyoming, which basically classifies wolves as varmints, and they can be trapped and shot uh, any time of the year, as many as a person can can take. So that basically prevents wolves from dispersing. But just, you know, despite that, um, despite that regulation, the numbers of wolves is, is still increasing. So you know, the, uh, hunters and trappers are trying, but they're not. They're not. Rarely are they meeting these quotas, whether it's Idaho, Montana, or Wyoming. And uh, and that, and that's why some of these states are shooting them out of helicopters. Um, and they don't, you know, they don't want to go on record or talk about that publicly, but they do it. Uh, they've told me that they do it. And uh, and I, you know, I'd hate to see that happen in Colorado, but if, if the number got out of hand, I'm sure they'd do the same thing there. Well, you know, you said something really important. You said if the number got out of hand. And again, I need to to step back and look at the science. Because what we see in areas where they're protected, like Yellowstone National Park or Banff National Park, is that when wolves are not hunted or trapped, their populations stabilize. So the population of wolves in Yellowstone National Park increased rapidly when they were first reintroduced, and then they've decreased and they've remained stable right around 100 for the last 10 years or so. So it's persecution or hunting and trapping of wolf populations drives increased reproduction. Uh, human beings do the same thing. When populations, any, any animal population does the same thing. When their populations are decreased, their reproduction increases. You've, ran Dan, and, you've, you've read Dan Flory's uh, book, Coyote America, I take it. Um, I have not. Oh, you have? Oh, you should. Well, he talks about the same thing with the coyotes, how, you know, sure. a hundred years ago, we tried to eradicate them, but through, yep. you know, uh, increased human pressure trapping, hunting, they started having larger litters and, you know, Absolutely. evolved to uh, be as, I'd say they're the most resilient animal in North America, to be honest with you. I, I'd agree. Yeah. And what, you know, what he talks about, I, I'm familiar with Dan Flores and I've read other books by him. Um, that concept holds for it holds for humans, and it holds for all other critters, really. Um, and our our desire to get rid of coyotes, um, boy, <laughs> it hasn't worked so well at all. Well, it's misguided, um, you know. I mean, you can do it in certain areas, uh, but to say we're going to extirpate a species like we did with the wolves was was by and large a mistake. And I'll even say that, uh, and you can probably tell from the way this interview has gone, which side of the fence I would. I would lean on personally as far as wolf reintroduction in any other state. Um, but, you know, it's a it's a conversation that I wanted to have, and I wanted to see where you were coming from, uh, and I think that it's important for, for both sides to, to have that discourse in a, in a civil manner, you know? 
Well, I agree, and I think that we can find some common ground. Sure. Um, I think that um, if we look at what's gone on um, in other states, the ranchers have actually been able to find, not all, but those ranchers that are using so-called coexistence or conflict avoidance strategies have been able to, um, you know, have been able to persist with wolves, and they're doing just fine. Um, hunters have been able to get their elk or get their deer. Um, if we look at hunter success rate up in the northern Rockies, you know, you, yes, you have to work a little bit harder. You can't. What was your? You know, you can't be a wussy hunter. Um, you've got to. You know, you've got to go into the backcountry a little bit. And elk are becoming more like elk. They're, they're not, they're, you know, they're, they're more, they're a little more skittish. They're a little more wary. It takes uh, a hunter. It takes them a little more work, probably takes a better guide, um, to get the hunter out there to where the elk are, but they're still there and the hunters are doing well. Um, so I, I, I believe from the science and what the science has shown us that wolves have an important um, role to play in healthy ecosystems. And that's essentially why we want wolves back in Colorado. A couple of last things just to to mention here, and I think this is important and it's a fair question. How would you defend the track record of, number one, the government, number two, pro-wolf or environmental groups as far as their tendency to want to renegotiate on original recovery goals once they've been met. And we've seen it in, in all of those states. We see it in, uh, we see litigation, legal battles going on in Minnesota, uh, Michigan, and Wisconsin as well. Um, and in those in those states, we haven't even talked about that, but in those states, it, it is absolutely true that their, their whitetail herds are being decimated by wolves. They simply have too many. Um, and I don't know if it's just because they're confined into smaller areas or what the deal is. How would you how would you defend that the past? I mean that's all we have to look back on. And it seems like once these goals are met, everyone agreed. Okay, now we're going to turn over control to the state, and it doesn't happen. And then it's locked up in court for another decade after that. Well, number one, I, I need to um, say something about the whitetail herds in the Great Lakes state. Um, we need to look carefully at the numbers, and I would disagree that the whitetail herds are being decimated. But on to your uh, other question about the agreement. Number one, it was the, the agreement uh, of those numbers of the number of wolves that would be reintroduced was never an upper limit. It was a lower limit that there would be, um, a, you know, a hundred wolves uh, that were reproductively successful in those states. A hundred wolves or ten breeding pairs in each state. That that was never an upper limit. That was the minimum that would be required for those <clears throat> excuse me for wolves to be removed from endangered species listing. And indeed, they have been removed from endangered species status, and they are being managed by the states. The yeah, but it took comes, you know it took 15 years after the fact uh, when the state is under the impression that yeah when we get to this number. We get to this number, and now we've been promised this. Oh, wait, no, 15 years later, we're still fighting it in court. That's left a sour taste in, in the mouth of, of any uh, any opposition or or even anyone that said, yeah, let's do it. 
as long as we get control, you know, I mean, it just flat out didn't happen. And, uh, and there's still court cases being filed uh, where people would say, you know, we don't want any kind of, of trapping or hunting of wolves uh, at all. So in those states, importantly, the what the if you read the entire uh, management plans, the agreement was that, for instance, um, regardless of the state, say it's Wyoming, that their management plan that they proposed when the wolves reached a certain number that was sustainable, that that plan must be approved by U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Um, and that plan had to guarantee that wolves were a self-sustaining population and that management wouldn't um, diminish that population so that it would be have to go back again um, with the endangered species listing. And what Fish and Wildlife Service determined was that Wyoming's plan would indeed result in the basically relisting of, of gray wolves if that management plan were to go forward. In Montana and Idaho, those plans were more scientifically sustainable. And so the wolves in those states were removed from endangered species listing prior to um, Wyoming's delisting status. But see, what you just described is the definition of reneging on a deal. I mean, here are the agreed upon terms. We both signed it. It's a contract. You've met your recovery goals, Wyoming. Oh, wait, no, uh, we're not giving you control for 15 years just because we don't think that those agreed-upon terms are now adequate. We need to, and the reason there's some pushback from the pro-wolf side is that the management plans were deemed in Wyoming to not be sustainable, that the basically indiscriminate um, numbers of wolves for instance, like now, that, you know, the, to, to classify a wolf um, that as a varmint, that you can kill as many of them as you possibly can see um, by any means is not sustainable. Well, I'd say that science says otherwise, because hunters and trappers are trying like hell to reach the quotas put in place by the state of Wyoming, and they're coming up short. And unit after unit, you can look, and very few of them are ever closed because the quota is reached. Well, importantly, again, we kind of need to step back and look at the biology of wolves as compared to, say, the biology of ungulates. Um, wolves are very social animals. The family unit matters tremendously with regard to wolves. Um, maintaining that family unit is essential. And as you pointed out, when wolves in that family are trapped or killed or hunted out, their population, their their response is to reproduce more because they've lost. So with wolf management the way it is in those states, they've been taking 30 to 40 percent of the wolf population. Um, they don't even take that many of the ungulate populations. And their their reasoning has been that, well, their population, they re, they've reproduced so rapidly that they can withstand that. What we've seen, though, is that in places where they're not hunted and trapped, we don't have high reproductive rates in places where wolves are protected. Their population, their reproductive rate is much lower where they're protected. 
so that they're not having large pups. They're not, we don't see, um, we see large families. We see them staying together for eight, nine, ten years. We don't see pairs of wolves having pups. What we see, we actually, by hunting and trapping wolves, you're actually increasing reproduction because you get smaller packs, packs of two, that are reproducing instead of, and they're reproducing five, six, seven pups, instead of a large pack where reproduction is controlled. So in a large pack, you only get two reproducers. So thinking about this concept of wolf pack as a family, as a family unit, um, you get actually lower um, predation on elk and deer when wolves are not trapped or hunted, and you get lower reproduction, which is much different than ungulate populations. Ungulate populations um, need to be, their biology is different, and they need to be managed differently. Well, Delia, that is absolutely true. I agree with you. Ungulates need to be managed differently than wolves, but wolves are part of that equation as well. And I'll give you an example after the break as to why I think uh, trapping is a good thing when it comes to wolves. So can you stick around for another segment? Absolutely. Happy to. Perfect. All right. That segment, by the way, brought to you by All Seasons Feeders and Blinds. If you haven't seen the big chingon, uh, this is the Taj Mahal of hunting blinds. I just got one on my new deer lease up around Wichita Falls. And you can fit uh, wife, kids, three or four people in there comfortably. It's got carpet. It's got cup holders, shooting windows, shelving, you name it. It's got it all. It's the big chingon. You can find it at allseasonsfeeders.com. We'll be right back with more on the Wolf Debate with Sierra Club's Delia Malone. You're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Blood's thick, the water's deeper, the wine works fine. The whiskey's cheaper, I turn it around quick before your sun goes down. Cable here, and we all know that the North Texas weather plays for keeps. That's why you should call my childhood baseball buddy, Phil, with Tech City Roofing. Tech City is a one-stop shop for your roofing needs, offering a 10-year transferable warranty. They don't require money up front or a down payment. They deal directly with your insurance company. Tech City is insured and has an A-plus rating with the BBB. Call Phil Marler at 940-600-8221 for a free inspection or email him at phil at techcityroofing.com. That's my lifelong bud, Phil, with Tech City Roofing at 940-600-8221. In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at bobcatadvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of Dallas and Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, and now McKinney. Visit BobcatofDallas.com or call 469-586-0000. Hey, y'all. Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a -a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. 
tequila We're a bad combination All we feel together is a sick frustration I got some rough edges and you're smooth and refined We do all out apart, but we're terrible combined We should have known better, but now it feels like hell Red wine and tequila, one of my favorites there from Owen Temple Bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoors show Powered by Dallas Safari Club. I'm your host, Cable Smith. Thank you guys and gals for being here today as we are rocking and rolling, continuing to discuss possible wolf reintroduction into Colorado, which boasts the world's greatest elk population. Now, wolves have been gone from Colorado since the 1940s, and the landscape ultimately is more fractured than it has ever been, and that is due to humans. But hey, uh, what are we going to do? I mean, it is what it is. And with that being said, I, I would oppose wolf reintroduction uh, anywhere else. I mean, we've already got them in uh, the Great Lakes states and, of course, Montana, Idaho, Wyoming, now California, Oregon, and Washington state as well. And, and they're going to keep expanding. It's up to us to make sure that they are not protected. And I'm not for wolf eradication, okay? Just like all of God's creatures, they have a place in the world. Their place just happens to be much more confined. Um, so we will continue debating here with Delia Malone, the committee chair of the Sierra Club Rocky Mountain chapter. But before we do that, this segment of the show brought to you by Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas and Rudy's True Texas Style of Barbecue. So with that being said, Delia, uh, thanks for sticking around. Now, I wanted to bring up the fact that, you know, you mentioned that trapping and hunting only makes wolves more proliferate. And while that may be true, if you are good enough at your trade, at your craft, then uh, I don't think that that's an issue because, for instance, I spent a week with a couple of fellows up in British Columbia. They're moose outfitters. That's how they make a living. About 15 years ago, Lloyd and Jack Hooper looked at each other and said, where are all of our moose going? We can't put our clients on moose anymore. So they started trapping. Now they take out 30 to 45 wolves every year. And guess what? The moose have come back stronger than ever. Uh, so they're obviously very good at what they do. Uh, and and they're still not able to wipe out the wolves because they're still killing that many every year. But you know what? They're doing their moose herd a big favor. So in certain circumstances, I think you certainly can trap and hunt and it'd be very effective. Uh, now, every environment every ecosystem is not the same and so sometimes you know you are comparing apples to oranges well let me let me say that you know i I say this to my students often is that um ecosystems and ecology is not rocket science it's much more complex and that just goes to what you just said ecosystems are very complex there's a lot of variability uh, there's just a out this week a study that was that has been that has been conducted for the last gee ten years or so up in Alaska on caribou herd on a caribou herd, and folks thought that it was because um, of wolves that this particular caribou herd was declining. So when they looked at the they started looking more carefully um, what they've seen in the last ten years is this caribou herd has increased um, with regardless of the fact that wolves are taking 
more caribou on this particular peninsula. So the caribou herd is really controlling themselves. Their populations have gone up. And as the caribou population has gone up, the wolves have begun to move on to that particular peninsula more, taking out a few of the weaker caribou. So regardless of the fact that there's more wolves, the caribou population on this particular area in Alaska has continued to increase. So I agree with you. There's a lot of variability. There's a lot of complexity. Um, Keeping in mind that wolves have been on the continent for tens of thousands of years, and ungulate populations, elk, caribou, bison, have and moose have coexisted in tremendous abundance for the tens of thousands of years. We humans are the ones that decimated the elk herds. You know, elk had to be reintroduced into Colorado. Well, that, this I will agree with you 100%. I mean, you're, and we've changed the landscape, you know. Um, all of these species that you just mentioned are now confined to, you know, you said Yellowstone is just a postage stamp. Well, it is, but 150 years ago, that postage stamp was 15, 20, 30 times that size. Right. It was limitless. Right. I mean, these animals could go wherever. It's it's not the same situation that we had earlier on in our, our country's history and certainly our continent. In that vein, in that view, there are active groups, and Sierra Club is one, um, working towards reconnecting those small migration corridors that still remain so that, yeah, they're just a small fraction of what once was, but if we can identify those landscapes that are still relatively intact, that are still relatively healthy, and if we can connect those corridors, then all of the critters, the elk and the deer and the remaining few bison and the pronghorn and so on, along with their predators, will be able to move and be able to expand. So that's, you know, it's not wolves, but it's an important part of what um, a lot of the uh, environmental groups like the Sierra Club is working towards is kind of reconnecting the landscape um, using those areas that are still relatively healthy. We've sure. got a lot of cattle on BLM land in Colorado. I know because I've I've seen it. Uh, spent I spent 18 days there mountain lion hunting over the last uh, two and a half years, and uh-huh. I've seen, so I've seen lots of cattle on public land. And undoubtedly, wolves are gonna. There's gonna be some predation on the livestock. Uh, who pays for that? Is it taxpayer dollars? Uh, I, I just out of curiosity, how is that situation rectified when a rancher does lose um, livestock? Well, it depends. We don't um, have a plan for it yet in Colorado. We're looking at that. But for instance, in say Oregon, Washington. Um, say, for instance, this point, Oregon, which is just now experiencing, you know, a few more wolves, um, those, the, those, the ranchers are compensated um, for their losses to wolves, verified losses to wolves. Um, typically, um, in col- well, right now, say, let's point to lo- losses due to lions or due to coyotes. Uh, those losses are paid for out of Colorado Parks and Wildlife Funds, mm-hmm. um, and those are typically um, funds that are coming from hunters. Uh, what we are trying to do in Colorado, along with protecting 
wildlife um, predators and so on, is to find a way so that funding for Colorado Parks and Wildlife comes from other than hunter dollars, because we recognize that other people that are not hunters, recreationists, get tremendous benefit from our wildlands, and we feel that we ought to be contributing to Colorado Parks and Wildlife. So right now in Colorado, losses to uh, predators, lions and coyotes and bears, are paid for out of Colorado Parks and Wildlife funds. Which you said hunters just uh, all, already pay for, so. And, yeah. and hunters pay for that. But we strongly feel there's a, that we have an active group working to find other ways, other funding sources for Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Um, because we already recognize that even without wolves, we need to, we need to have another funding source. Mm-hmm. So the compensation for ranchers already comes from Colorado Parks and Wildlife. We would like to increase that funding from people other than hunters, from other people that enjoy wildlife in other ways. So that is likely the model that we would use um, if we can get wolves reintroduced. You know, I want to say, importantly, in Colorado right now, um, we have a wolf management plan that was put together in 2005. And in that plan, um, wolves are protected in Colorado as endangered. Sure. But at the same time, Colorado Parks and Wildlife, as opposed to wolf reintroduction, I mean, they're they're not in favor of it. That's correct. That's correct. Absolutely. 100%. Um, and that's that's why um, it's an interesting situation. If wolves get here on their own, they're protected, um, but they oppose a reintroduction. Yes. So we and we've talked about you know you've thrown a lot of scientific um, studies data out there, and, and I'm sure that Colorado Parks and Wildlife has opposing science that they would reference for you know to refute everything uh, that you would bring to the table. I mean, that's how these things tend to go. Um, but at the end of the day, here's what I think. If you, if they did get reintroduced, how about they, that we teach these wolves to eat all of those wild horses you guys have because those things are a real pain <laughs> in the ass and don't belong in the landscape. So, Well, um, you know, interestingly enough, um, and I'll go out because, you know, we, we don't have enough predators out here, but if you go out to Nevada, right on the uh, border of California and Nevada, there's a lot of lions, and there's a lot of lions because in California you're not allowed to hunt them. Um, but you, you just said something very important, and I and because I honestly do not know where the Sierra Club stands on on sustainable use hunting, but that was encouraging for me to hear you say there's a lot of lions in California because you can't hunt them. So, so let let at the, the end of that story is that you know where you were talking about horses, wild horses. Well, a natural predator of wild horses are lions. And in that particular, this particular wild horse area, on the right on the border of California and Nevada, where there are a lot of lions, the wild horse population, the, the numbers are about literally 40, I think it's 42%, it could be 43%, I'm not, I don't remember right off the top of my head. 42% of the foals are taken by lions every year. And so those wild horse populations are fairly well controlled 
by a robust lion population. So we have kind of a nice um, restoration of a natural balance in that situation. But those horses wild... aren't natural at all, and they shouldn't be there to begin with. So you know, I could, I mean, well, I could say that. I mean, what are the, what the hell are the horses doing there? I mean, you can't speak out of both sides of your mouth. You can't be this naturalist group only when it's convenient because these wild horses are not part of the natural order of anything. Taxpayers are getting their asses handed to them on, on those wild horses, you know, hand over fist. I, and thank God for President Trump at least cutting that a little bit uh, because they're, they're like feral hogs. And I've seen them. I've been on, those, on that lion hunt, and they're aggressive, ornery, cantankerous things that are destroying the natural browns that should be left for natural prey of lions, let's say elk or deer or whatever else. Let let me let me just put the, this is way beyond, but let me just say this that um, there's about a total um, of seventy two thousand wild horses in the West um, right now. Sure. There's about um, you know my numbers could be off by a few hundred, but there's about two point one million cattle in the West. Uh, on the range. And so this is a little bit different of a discussion, but the impact of livestock compared to the impact of wild horses is orders of magnitude greater by livestock. Oh, for sure. So we need to, we need to. But we're eating those, you know, I mean, they serve a purpose. What what are the wild horses? What is their purpose? What do they serve? How are they benefiting the landscape? The ecosystem. I mean, we both know they're not. And horses are cool. I mean, yeah, no one wants to talk about, hey, let's get rid of, kill all these horses, essentially, because, you know, we look at them kind of like a dog, whereas for some reason we don't look at a cow like that. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, you could tell me every everything about these horses, and I'm still going to tell you they don't belong there. Well, you know, wild horses did evolve in North America and only in North America. But so did feral hogs. I'm coming from Texas. I'm very biased, obviously, because of our <laughs> our feral hog problem we have here. Uh, so, but anyway, I, I think this is a good point to to wrap it up. I want to say I, I respect your opinion. Uh, I would still obviously side with the uh, the anti wolf reintroduction side, but uh, you've brought some interesting things to the table. It's been a treat visiting with you. Well, and with you too, and I'd love to have more discussions because I think it's critical that we talk about this. Yes, ma'am. Thanks again. Okay. Thanks so much, Cable. So there you have it. Delia Malone, the Wildlife Committee Chair for the Rocky Mountain Chapter of Sierra Club. Agree, disagree. Um, I at least wanted to get their side of the story out there. And and to be honest with you, the thing that I take away the most, um, a very nice lady, passionate about what she believes, but I just don't get their science and the uh, the data that they claim is accurate. What I know to be true does not represent their claims. Uh, and then the horse thing. I mean, you can't have it both ways. <laughs> Either you want a natural ecosystem, which is, I think, what Sierra Club stands for, but then to say, well, the lions and horses are part of this vibrant natural. No, those wild mustangs are not part of a wild anything that's natural. Uh, so, you know, I think it's, it's that whole, it goes back to that mindset from the other side of, yeah, just pick and choose what you want to believe in when you want to believe it, whatever's convenient. Uh, so anyway, certainly appreciate her coming on and, uh, 
totally disagree. Do not want wolves reintroduced to Colorado or anywhere else, for that matter, because it flies in the face of the North American conservation model, which you and I, the hunters out there, fund when we purchase licenses for elk, mule deer, whitetail, moose, whatever the case, all of these things that wolves like to eat. So that's where I stand. Uh, unfortunately, looking at the clock, we got to go. Got to get out of here. Thanks to Delia as well as our other guests today, Glenn Underwood from Coons Canyon Ranch and our 2017 Photo of the Year winner, Mark Baden. Uh, it was certainly a treat getting to hunt with him and, uh, and Glenn last weekend down at Coons Canyon Ranch. Uh, thanks as well to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of Dallas Safari Club's Lone Star Outdoors show. Until next time. I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all have a great week in the outdoors. Brother again.